We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. When I first started preaching at a previous church, there were two times that they would ask me to preach. One was during the summer when everybody left anyway. And it was like, uh, I don't know, it was just a general, like, pick something to preach on, you know? No one's here. It doesn't matter. And the other one was this week, the week in between Christmas and New Year's Eve, when, again, nobody's here. This is like the new guy. It's like, okay, let's, let's let him have his practice when there's five people sitting here, right? Uh, this is what would often be called, like, uh, it's, just a, it's just a practice week anyway, or it's a throwaway Sunday, and, uh, which I don't believe, and I know you don't believe because you're all here with this, but that's typically just the, the rhythms of our lives, of our culture. When you do have family in town, it's really understandable that, hey, you, if you're not going to go on any week in the year, this might be one of those weeks, right? Uh, and so this is kind of like, you know, when you see a movie and there's like post-credit scenes, you know, and some people stick around for it and some people don't. By the way, if you haven't finished season two of The Mandalorian yet, I'm not going to spoil anything for you but watch through the credits, okay? Uh, we had someone come into the shop at Cultivate and two people, they were talking about, oh yeah, man, it was so good. I watched the final episode. And then one of them said, did you see the post credit scene? And the guy was like, what? No, I had no idea. I'm like, bro, it's Disney. They're always doing post credit scenes. Marvel like, just built a whole rhythm for all movies now. <laughs> so always watch to the end. And so he's like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta go back and watch that. But you know, those, those Marvel movies, when they would do that, it's like you would... Watch the movie. You get the full movie. You feel like, okay, I got it. And then, you know, you may watch like uh, Iron Man 3, and then you go, okay, now I'm waiting for what happens in the next Avengers movie. But if you had stuck around and watched the post credit scene, you would have already been given a little glimmer of that. You would have been given like a foretaste of like, okay, but the story's not over. There's more to come, and here's what's coming up. And in a sense, that's kind of like what this week is for us, right? It's like we've had Advent season, and we've been building up to Jesus being born, and then we had this Christmas Eve service, and we celebrated on Christmas Day in our homes, and we, we said, Jesus has come into the world. This is good news. And now there's like this post credit scene, 40 days later, showing us how two other people respond to Jesus entering into the world after he's already come. And it's, it's kind of giving a little foretaste of like, look, there's, this isn't the end of the story. A baby was born. But a baby was born so that he could grow into a man and so that he could accomplish many things and so that he could ultimately die and even more ultimately be raised again and send the spirit of God to dwell on us. And so this, this little section right here, we looked at earlier in our first week in Advent, the first two humans ever, and then we fast-forwarded to look at some more people of Advent, and we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John, who would be the baptizer. And then we fast-forwarded, and we looked at Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, at least they're his earthly parents. And now we're going to look at two people named Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. So picking up in verse 25, to give you some context before I read real briefly, what would happen is, and you can find this in Leviticus 18, I don't know, Leviticus 12. Leviticus 12, there was a, an order given for what would 
happened when you had a child is if you had a male child, then you had to wait seven days. And then on the eighth day, you would circumcise that child. This was a sign of this is, this is a person who is part of the family of God, part of God's covenant, part of his promise with this community, right? So you do that. And then 33 days more, the mother would have to seclude herself before she would be seen as clean, ritually clean enough to enter into the temple. And so then they would take their child to the temple after 40 days. And then what they would do is they would have this little ceremony where they would dedicate the child to the Lord, and particularly if it was the firstborn son. And so they would dedicate the child to the Lord. You know, we do baby dedications still to today. And they would dedicate the child and they would have to bring a sacrifice. And the sacrifice that was asked for was a pure spotless lamb. But in Leviticus 12, there's a little like disclaimer given. If you're too poor to afford a pure spotless lamb, you could also substitute that for two young pigeons or two turtle doves. You guys know that song? It made it into the 12 days of Christmas. So you could bring two young pigeons or two turtle doves. And this is what Mary and Joseph brought on the 40th day to the temple because they were a poor family and did not have much. And so when they get there, we start in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. For the moment, we will pause there. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would allow us to hear your word this morning, not just as a tale told long ago, not just as an ancient story, but as part of our history, the pivotal moment in history of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection that has changed everything for everyone. And so may we hear you speak to us through this word and through this story, even today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So they show up to the temple, they get there, they don't have much, so they don't have a lamb, but they can substitute that with these two young pigeons, and they go, all right, this is what we're here to do. We are to dedicate our firstborn son to the Lord, saying, hey, this is part of God's community, part of his chosen people, part of his family, but not only that, like anything the Lord calls us to do as a family, calls us to lead this child into, and causes, calls this child to go into, like we're saying yes to it, Right? We're saying yes to it. And they get there, and there's this random guy. We're not told anything about Simeon except for his name. There's this guy named Simeon. And I thought that was interesting because then he just goes up and he takes up 
the little baby Jesus into his arms. And I thought about like, man, if I walked in with my newborn first son and some stranger just came over to grab him, I'd be like, what in the world is happening, right? It's like, it seems super weird. So he takes him up in his arms and then he just starts like this praise song. And he says, now, master, I could die in peace. You can just take my spirit from me, take my breath from me. I can die in peace. I can die a happy man because I've seen the promised rescuer of the whole world come. And so we get this idea that Simeon was promised probably long ago, right? We're told he was promised that he would not see death before he sees the Messiah. I don't think that promise came like a week before, right? (laughs) Hey, don't worry. You're not going to die until you see the rescuer. It's next week and then you're going to die. Like that's probably not happened, right? It was like he's been waiting for this for a long time. And we're told that Simeon is really, really old. He's advanced in years. Who knows how long he's been waiting for this promise to come. That every year maybe he's going to the temple during these festivals and he's waiting and looking and hoping to see that this promised rescuer had entered into the world. And who knows how many times he got there and he didn't see it. He didn't feel "Ah, that little baby. I don't know if that's the one. He didn't feel the spirit confirm anything. And how many times he felt just heartbroken, right? How many times he got his hopes up and then they were dashed. Here's an interesting thing about Simeon. Like I said, we we aren't given much about him. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Up until this point in Luke's account, every other person introduced has been given like this backstory, credentials. Zechariah was a, a priest in the temple and he came from a long lineage of prophets and priests. And his wife Elizabeth too, it doesn't just say any had a wife, Elizabeth. No, Elizabeth came from this long lineage of a priesthood. You get to Joseph and Mary, and it's the same thing. Like Joseph was a descendant of the best king Israel ever had, King David. And Mary, Mary comes from this lineage of like amazing devout people like Ruth, who we studied earlier this year, right? And so you, you get all these backstories of people. At the very least, you would hear this. Then there was this person, so-and-so, who was the son of. At the very least, you find out who their parent was, their ancestry. This was a normal, customary way for Jewish literature to be written. If you're going to introduce somebody, you say who they are a son or a daughter of. And for some reason, when Luke's giving this account of this man named Simeon, he gives us none of that. There's just this man, Simeon. An old man, we're not told he has a family with him. We're not told about his position in life or what he does. Just a man living in obscurity, waiting for a promise from an unseen God, getting his hopes up, getting them dashed time and time again. Not seemingly great to anybody, And yet, God sees him. God sees Simeon, and he comes to him, and he gives him a promise. God sees this man living in obscurity, probably in poverty, older, advanced in in years, and he's like, listen, I'm with you. I see you. I hear you, and you're going to see me. 
That's incredible. This man's not overlooked. He's not missed. And it, it gives us something about God's economy, that there is nobody who is created in his image, which is, by the way, is every single human being, who is not seen by him. You are seen by God. And that's the hope that Simeon had. Like, the Lord spoke to me. The Lord came and spoke to me, and he believed. And so even throughout all of his waiting, and even throughout every time he got his his hopes kind of let down, he did not lose faith. And this is what we're told of him. This is a better introduction than any other person has gotten. All the people who were told, "This this is a descendant of a king, this is a descendant of a priest. This is what's said of Simeon. Just a man, but... Verse 25, this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Like, you could be a descendant of King David. You could be a descendant of Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. You could be a descendant of Moses. Like, you you can walk around toting, like, I know, I can trace my ancestry.com all the way back to Abraham. And look at all these important people in my lineage. But to say the Holy Spirit was on this man and that God saw him as righteous blows all of that out of the water. Seemingly unimportant to the people around him, but seen by God. And what's counted to him as righteous is that he believed the word that God gave to him. There's a similar thing said about Abraham. I think we have a a scripture I want to share on the screen from Hebrews, I believe it is. No, it's from Romans. It's been a long week, guys. (laughs) In Romans 4, Hebrews talks about Abraham too, by the way, I'm just going to say. But Romans 4 does. And this is talking about God calling Abraham and him believing. And it says this, in hope, he believed against hope. That's a weird statement, but he's saying, it seems like there should be no hope. All hope is lost. Like Simeon coming to the temple year after year and going like, nope, not again. Seems like all hope is lost. For Abraham, it was God came to him and said, you are going to have a child, you and your wife, Sarah. And out of that offspring, I will create a whole people for myself, a whole nation that will follow after me and will show the rest of the world what I'm like. And Abraham's getting old. And so against all hope, he still had hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. It's a way you don't want to describe your grandparents, okay? You don't want to talk about old age that way. It's not a very nice way. He, he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness doesn't mean you're a perfect person. Doesn't mean you got it all figured out. Doesn't mean you follow all the right rules all the time. What did it mean for Abraham? who, if you know his story, made a lot of mistakes, that he believed the word that God gave to him. So God counted him righteous. Simeon believed when God told him, you will not see death 
until you see the rescuer of the whole world come. And so he believed, and though he wasn't anything special in particular, he was seen by God as righteous. So not only was he seen by God, this man living in obscurity, but he was seen as righteous, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Listen, I know there's a whole lot of things going on in your life that it's like you get your hopes up and then they get dashed over and over and over again. And you go, well, maybe God's gonna show up in this part of my life this time and you feel like he doesn't come through. And you keep getting your hopes up only to be let down again. But God has given a promise. God has given a promise that those who wait on him, those who patiently wait on him will in fact see the glory of God come upon them. God sees you, and if you wait patiently, you will also see him. Hoping against hope, even when the world seems nuts, even when everything around you seems to be falling apart, knowing that God is still with us. He is still present, and he sees you. And if you trust in him, he sees you as righteous, beautiful, glorious good news. It's not because of anything you've done, right or wrong, but trusting in him, waiting patiently, because God's a patient God. Because at the very beginning of the story, like we talked about at the beginning of Adam with the first two people, when they blew it, when they rebelled against him, when they basically spat in God's face and said, we don't need you, God could have just squashed humanity there and been done with it. But instead he said, no, I'm sending one to Squash this lie that entered the world and I will preserve you and I will make you my people and you will be full of my glory again one day. And God, through year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia, patiently puts his plan into effect. And he sees every single one of you. And he's patiently waiting for you to turn and trust in him. So we're called now to patiently wait on his good promises. And that is what brings us into the righteousness of God. There's another person we're going to hear about now who also had to wait patiently. Wait patiently in a different kind of obscurity. A woman named Anna. And this, it's not a coincidence that Luke puts these two stories right next to each other back to back. Simeon and Anna are not related. They're not a couple. Every series of this people of Advent we've done have been couples so far, Adam and Eve, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary. I think Simeon and Anna are important for us. One, because like, if you got the idea, we're only talking about married couples and like, that's the way to be with God. This blows that away, right? Like, no, these are two single people and God sees them both but it gives us a picture of two different types of responses to waiting and finally seeing the promise of God come to us. So we're continuing to read where we left off in verse 36 of Luke chapter two. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for, 40, for 84 years. 
She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. We're given a little bit more with Anna's introduction, aren't we? We're told who she's the daughter of, right? That's a customary way to write that. We're also told she's a prophetess. That's a female prophet, in case you didn't know. She's a prophetess. That's an interesting title, especially because we have not seen a prophet for 400 years since Malachi until the birth of John. So what is happening here? We're going to explore that in a moment. I want you to put a pin in that, like put a little bookmark there, and we're going to turn back to it in a moment. But right away, this woman is given a greater introduction than Simeon was. And in this culture, when women were not valued, were not treated well, were not held in high esteem or high regard, that is crazy. Luke purposefully puts these two stories back to back and intentionally introduces them the way he does to show us that God not only sees this man living in obscurity, but he sees this woman that the rest of the community would have likely shunned. She's a widow well advanced in her years, which means she can offer no value in the eyes of the community. She can't work. She can't produce anything. She makes no money. She's a burden on somebody. And what would happen in that time, if you remember when we studied through the book of Ruth, what would happen is if someone was widowed, then the brother of their deceased husband would have to come and marry them in order to protect them and care for them so that they wouldn't be living on their own. They've already left their father's house who was to care for them and provide for them, and now they have to depend on a husband. And so if the the husband dies, then the next of kin, it would be a brother first, would have the responsibility to care for that woman. Now, this is something that God said to do so that these women would not be cast aside but it didn't always happen because a man would see that and go, why'd my brother have to pass away? I don't don't need another mouth to feed his wife and his children. And they would find ways out of it all the time. So this woman, we don't know if she didn't have someone who was willing to come and do it or if they just all refused. But she was married for seven years and then lost her husband. This translation, the Christian Standard Bible says, then she was a widow for 84 years. Other translations have said, then she was a widow until she was 84. Either way, in that culture, you married very young, and she was only married seven years before she lost him. So most scholars agree that it's anywhere between 60 and 84 years that she lived without the care and protection of a man in a patriarchal society. Just basically cast aside. And so Luke intentionally says, let me tell you a little bit more about this woman because God sees her too. And what does she do? It says she spent day and night serving God at the temple. Now, a lot of people have said they believe that the temple was the place to go. Then if you were cast aside, if you had nothing to your name, if you had no home, no food, if you were like even working class poor, go hang out at the temple. And as people come to give their alms, to give their givings, to give their tithes, to give their sacrifices. You can beg and ask for them to give a little bit to you. And that's how you might actually make a living. So a lot of people have have 
put that forth and said, maybe that's what Anna's doing there at the temple, right? Because she's a widow. She has been for a long time. She can't provide for herself. And so she's there. But Luke doesn't say Anna was at the temple begging day and night. What does he say? He says, verse 37, she was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God day and night with fasting and prayers. Not starving, not wondering when her next meal would come, but intentionally choosing to refrain from finding her pleasure and comfort and joy in anything else and looking to find it in God. Because she had gotten to a place where she knew better than any of us in our comfort that all she had was God. Everything else had been stripped away. She didn't have anyone to care for her. She didn't have any way to protect herself. But she knew, she knew where to go. Because it wasn't just the temple where you can go and beg for things. There was a town center. There was a place, a marketplace where everybody was. And it was happening. It was hopping. And you went there to do your begging. And she said, that's not where I go to find my provision. I go to the Lord. Day and night. For decades. She's there, serving the Lord, trusting in the Lord, waiting on the Lord. God sees her too, and he sees this also as righteous. And not only that, he gives her this title that not everyone is given in Scripture. This title of a, of a prophet or a prophetess. And I know when we hear that word, this is, let's be honest, like the first thing pops in your head is like, oh, they're like a fortune teller, right? Oh, they're, they're going to tell like what God's going to do tomorrow or in a year or in the end times. You can tell me what's going to happen in the end times. If they get it wrong one time, we're going to stone you, right? Because that's what happened. You're not a real prophet. But here's the spirit of what's happening here. Just like Simeon, the spirit of the Lord was on him, trusting in what God said. Anna, she hears what God says and she does something with it. Revelation uh, 19, verse 10, I think we have that on the screen here, says, for the test, this is an angel, by the way, a messenger of the Lord speaking to John, who's writing Revelation, and he sees this angel, and he like falls down and wants to worship him, and he tells him, don't worship me, I'm just a messenger, just like you are. I speak what the Lord tells me to speak. And this is how he finishes that sentence. He says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is prophecy? It's not so much fortune telling this that happens sometimes in the Bible, right? People who tell the future, God said this will happen later on and it happens. But the spirit of prophecy, the essence of it, the main purpose of it, the point of it is this, that you testify about Jesus. And what does Anna do? She hears all this. She sees Simeon in the temple, grab this little baby, lift him up, and start saying, this guy is here for the glory of Israel, God's chosen people, and for the salvation of all the other nations. And this is what it says. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So, Simeon, God bless him, and he is counted as righteous. He finally sees this rescuing Savior come into the world, and he goes, God, I can die a happy man now. 
promise for me has been fulfilled. And Anna takes it a step further. She's advanced in age too, well along in her life. Could have had the same response. Man, this is incredible. God, thank you that I have seen this. Take me now. But she instead, she hears the word of the Lord spoken and she immediately goes to speak it to others. She goes out to tell everybody, anyone who would listen, anyone who is looking for redemption, who is looking for salvation, who is looking for a little hope. She says, let me tell you, I've seen it. The God who sees me has shown up and I've seen him. Let me tell you about him. And she's called a prophetess for that reason. And you and I, we are called into that same role. Do you know that? You know that there aren't prophets who have come anymore like John or like Malachi or like Isaiah or Jeremiah. Jesus, Jesus came to be the ultimate prophet and priest and king. But then he has passed his spirit on to you and I. He has breathed his spirit onto you and I if we are in the church. And we are called to carry out his mission. So in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says this after he already rose from the grave and he shows up and he sees his followers, his disciples, his friends. And he says, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth, it's mine, it's been given to me. And so for that reason, I want you to go out and as you go, I want you to baptize all nations, all people groups, not just Israel, all people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You remember John came to baptize people in water, but Jesus, John said about him, came to baptize people in spirit and in truth. Jesus says, I want you not to just dunk people in water and immerse them in that, but immerse them in a new identity, that they are part of this family of God in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Give them a new identity teaching them everything that I've taught you, all the things that I've commanded. And he ends it with this, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The God who was born into this world, and we were told his name would be Emmanuel, God with us, says, I am still with you. I am with you always. I still see you, and you can still see me. Turn your eyes toward me. Look upon me. My spirit will be on you, and I will go with you everywhere you go. And as you boldly speak the truth about me, my power will be with you. And others will hear, and they too will turn, and some will not. But when some do, how glorious that is. And I will welcome those of you who turn toward me into my kingdom. We'll have a great feast and we will live forever in true peace and hope and joy and love. That's what we're called into. And so Simeon and Anna, they see Jesus after he's born, after Christmas morning. And they see this story is not over yet. We're to continue in this. And the same thing happens for Jesus' best friends, his disciples, his followers who followed him day in and day out for three years, who see him go to be with the Father in heaven as he prepares a place for us. And he says, the story's not over yet. Keep waiting on me. 
Keep hoping in me. Keep looking to me. And so for us today, Missio, brothers and sisters, the story's not over yet. Advent's not over yet. Keep looking to him. Keep patiently waiting on him. That's our righteousness. Keep placing our hope in him. And Jesus, he's still with us and he still sees us. Father, we confess that we need help to do that. We need help to keep our eyes fixed on you. God, that our hopes do fall at times. They seem to get dashed. And that we want to give up sometimes. God, may your spirit be upon us that we too would be counted as righteous because we are patiently waiting on the coming of our Lord Jesus. That as he comes again, as he returns, he will finally and fully restore all things, make all things right. And that all the brokenness of this world and all the distractions and the cares and concerns that try to take us away from you would be taken away fully from us. And that as you have seen us throughout history, we will fully see you face to face in your glory. God, what good news. Help us in the spirit of prophecy to share that good news of Jesus with the world around us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, to the glory of the Father. Amen.